Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by the New Jersey Economic Development Authority, PSC, where your story is our business. Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, working for a healthier, more equitable New Jersey. Investors Foundation, PSC&G, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future. Hackensack Meridian Health. Keep getting better. The Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, moving the region through air, land, rail, and sea. New Jersey's Clean Energy Program, lighting the way to a clean energy future. And by Community Food Bank of New Jersey. Promotional support provided by NorthJersey.com and Local IQ, part of the USA Today Network. And by bestofnj.com, all New Jersey in one place. Hi, everyone. Steve Adubato. We kick off the program talking about politics in the state, the region, and the nation with Alex Wilkes, a Republican strategist, and uh, Dan Bryan, a Democratic strategist, president of Bryan Strategies Group. They write a column in NJ Globe called Stomping Grounds. Alex and Dan, good to have you with us. Great Thanks to be here. Alex, what's the deal with this column? A Democrat, Republican, uh, talking about complex, important issues and doing it in a civil respectful way, just like in Washington. No, never <laughs> mind. What's the deal with the column? It's true. It can happen. Uh, even here in New Jersey, we can have some civility. And look, I think it's important that we have that, particularly um, you know, for my generation and Dan's generation to be talking in this way. Uh, you know, we experienced a lot together as a generation, whether it was, you know, sort of having our innocence shattered through the tragedy of 9-11, um, you know, the the Wall Street failures of 2009, 2008, um, and seeing where you know things have gone with the pandemic, we have faced unique challenges together. And I think that it's all the more important that we dialogue together as we go forward. Dan, let me ask you this, and you're a former uh, advisor to Governor Murphy, um, now with your own public uh, affairs firm. Let me ask you this. You and Alex go back and forth on these issues. And people can go on NJ Globe and, and read what you've said and 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 why it's important to be civil. But let me ask you something. How, Democrats and Republicans who are involved politically at the highest level of our nation are personally demonizing and attacking each other, mocking each other, calling each other names, challenging each other to UFC uh, cage fights. What the heck is going on? Yeah, so Alex will beat me. That's why I haven't uh, challenged her to a cage fight yet. Um, we, we, smart enough that. We're not in favor of any violence in politics. That's right. But... That's right. No, listen, I, I, I think it, it's nothing new. And Steve, you know that, right? From, from oh, no, it is. It's worse. Country. Dan, it's nothing new. It's oh, You guys are pretty young, but I don't remember it ever being this bad. It, it, it's bad. And I think the worst thing, politics is politics, right? And within the realm of politics, it is certainly bad, but we can live with that. To me, what's worse is when it breaks up friendships, when it breaks up families, maybe even breaks up relationships. Um, I think that's awful. 
Uh, Alex and I, I'm not sure there's a ton we agree on this, on a policy level, but we've been able to have a great relationship over these last few months, talking about our kids, talking about the state. Uh, I, I teach a, a class at Seton Hall that she was gracious enough to come in and, and talk to the kids about. And it was great for them to see a woman in politics representing the Republican brand that truly believes in what she believes in and may not agree with me, but also can be fully respectful and civil. So it's bad. I'm not sure if it's ever been this bad, certainly not in my lifetime. But uh, I think one thing that we're trying to show is we can disagree on policy points, um, but still have a good relationship, still respect each other. And, and Alex, let me follow up with you on this. Donald Trump has did not start this. And as we tape this program uh, toward the end of July, another indictment. I, again, I, we've been taping all day, so I'm not sure what the situation is. It'll be public by the time this airs. Let me ask you. To what degree do you believe that the, the head of the Republican Party, official or unofficial, that's Donald Trump, has contributed to the demonization of one's political opponent and, to some degree, political violence in this nation? Well, look, I think it's undoubtedly true that Donald Trump changed the paradigm for everybody in terms of the way that we speak in politics. Um, we're sort of unvarnished now in the way that we discuss things. That's for better or for worse. but. Um, that's where we are right now. Um, certainly, I am not as much of a fan of some of the coarseness that we do see, and I do think that it can escalate to places that are irresponsible and dangerous at times. But at the same time, I think that what he offered in 2016, and I think other candidates are doing the same thing now um, on the Republican side, is, is they're offering, um, like I said, a... A, you know, a genuineness uh, that people have been looking for from politics for a while now, that uh, what you see is what you get. Um, you know, I came- Even like, if it's ugly? From a I, I want to be clear. I'm sorry for interrupting. So, so Donald Trump offers a genuineness. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying I think that there's the perception of that, right? That he he speaks his mind. He tells it like it is. I mean, those were- often phrases that we heard over and over again in focus groups in 2016, 2020, even now. Um, that's what people said, and that's what people have been looking he for. He it the way it is, right? What about on January 6th? Did he say it the way it was? Well, look, I disagreed with what he did on January 6th, and I've been vocal about that. But I think that, you know, what we are seeing from people still, even after the January 6th attack on the Capitol, we are seeing a hunger and a desire from politicians to tell them the truth, to uh, to say things without the varnish of a focus group, of a poll, um, of what we had become sort of so highly scripted in over the years. Um, and I think that that is being reflected not just on the Republican side, but on the Democratic side as well. You do see uh, that there, well, not on the Democratic side, but there are third party challengers now coming into this race who are offering that same brand of authenticity. Presidential race. Presidential race, yep. You are seeing. Uh, figures like RFK Jr., Marianne Williams, who are purporting to, you know, sort of tell it like it is. And I think that there's an element of that that people are still yearning for um, even after the 2016 and yeah. 2020 elections. Uh, hold on a second. Dan, Alex says it's telling it like it is. Is it telling it like it is or telling it like it is in my mind? And I'll say it whether it's accurate or not, whether it's about COVID or democracy or an indictment or fake news. Or the 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 the, the um, what do they call the FBI and the the, the deep state? Is it telling it like it is, Dan, or is it something else? So uh, you're not going to be surprised to hear that I, I disagree with a lot of, especially with the the former president. I think um, his acts on January sixth 
is the greatest criminal act in by a sitting president in American history. Um, but I think one thing Alex said that's completely true is there is a uh, weariness from the public of politicians who are overly scripted, who they feel like are just giving them talking points, who they feel like they aren't getting anything uh, uh, authentic out of. That is why you see people, I'll, now I'll go to the positive side here, right, in my view, you see people like Bernie Sanders over the course of the last decade get so much traction because when Bernie Sanders speak, they think it's Bernie Sanders speaking, not whatever his, uh, with, with all due respect to uh, political uh, advisors, not what his political advisors are telling him to say, right? So Donald Trump has taken advantage of that. Uh, I don't think he's authentic at all whatsoever, but but what Alex is saying is right. People see him as authentic because he's not giving you the uh, what he would say the politically correct talking points. He's saying things that are wildly offensive, wildly inappropriate, and things that uh, someone either sitting as president or running for president shouldn't be saying. And Dan, since, since we're into being candid and saying it like it is and unvarnished, uh, Joe Biden would be 86 years old at the end of his second term. Do you have any issues about his cognitive ability to be president, the leader of the free world? So, so here's what I'll say. I'm going to be uh, slightly evasive, but then I'll give you an answer. No, no, you can't. Answer. No, no, no. You oh, yeah. can't do this whole thing I'm about I'm we're going to be to honest, unvarnished, you. and um, then you're going to be subtly evasive. Joe, Joe <laughs> Biden's got a great line. Uh, don't judge me against the almighty. Judge me against the alternative. Um, it's a great line, but that, that was also written by the kind of handlers that you were just critical of. So straight up. Sure, sure, Joe sure, Biden, sure. 86, who we see on a regular basis in press conferences turning the wrong way, falling down, and I pray and hope that he's going to be okay. Do you have any concerns about Joe Biden being the leader of the free world at 85, 86 years of age? Joe Biden, nobody else. The answer is no. Talk about a general, think, a generic 85 or 86 year old, it's Joe Biden. I, I think the answer is no. I think what Joe Biden has shown is he has uh, uh, accomplished a lot more than people thought he would over the first few years of his administration. I think that, listen, there are a lot of things that Joe Biden is doing and saying now. People are saying, well, it's because he's getting old. But he's old. cognitively sure. sharpened. He's cognitively sharpened, your view. As far as I can see and know, and as far as I see okay. with the White House is coming out, the answer okay, is yes. Do it. I know the guy. Alex, cognitively sharp. Now? I gave you a tough time about Trump. Cognitively <laughs> sharp with Biden. Unvarnished. Listen, I, say it I, the way it is. Look, I, I, I can't say that uh, I don't have concerns about the president. And I mean that genuinely, that I, I, I have concerns about his health, about his fitness um, to serve in office. And I think that that's been on display now for the last two or three years. We've seen that uh, throughout the course of his 2020 campaign, now in his time in office. Uh, and I think that that is reflected in his poll numbers. That's why he is underwater with Americans. He's he can't gain traction uh, with people despite what he feels like are his accomplishments is because people are seeing these missteps. They are seeing these gaffes. They feel like they make us weak around the world um, and that he just doesn't have command over situations. Uh, just today, we have a U.S. soldier who's been captured in North Korea. Uh, I can't say that I have a whole lot of confidence in Joe Biden as the commander in chief to take control of that situation, given what we've seen. I'll give you 20 seconds. Go ahead, Dan. Listen, it's great to live in a democracy and the American people are going to have a say. Do they think he deserves another four years? The answer is going to be yes, because the Republicans are going to put forward a nominee, almost certainly likely, that tried to uh, run an insurrection uh, uh, against insubvert democracy that was awful on COVID, um, that had absolutely no accomplishments to speak of in his first term, um, and may be indicted, as you said, Steve. So that's who the Republicans are going to put up. Is Joe Biden going to win? The answer is yes. Uh, maybe indicted. That is not the previous indictment that would be moving forward. Okay. Uh, Alex and Dan, I want to thank you. Can I plug one more time? An NJ Globe stomping grounds. Check them out. It's a compelling conversation. Dan and Alex, you'll be back with us again in the future. We appreciate it. Thank uh, you so much, folks.
You got it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Life is full of changes. At Hackensack Meridian Medical Group, we're ready for them. If you have a cold or chronic illness, our five-star doctors can treat any ailment. Whether you're starting recess or retirement, we're prepared with pediatric and adult specialists. And if you just moved here, we are in your neighborhood. You now have access to a health team thousand strong. So no matter what or when, we're ready. At the Community Food Bank of New Jersey. We are working. Now more than ever. To fill the emptiness caused by hunger. We are the state's largest anti-hunger organization. And together with our 800 plus community partners. We are committed to delivering food. Help. And hope. To our hundreds and thousands of neighbors in need. We're now joined by Dr. Lynette Mowinney, who is professor and chair of the Department of Urban Education at Rutgers University of New York. Good to have you, Professor. Thank you, thank you for having me today. Well, it's great, uh, great having you, but the topic I'm gonna bring up is not a fun topic to talk about, but it's important. Uh, there's been a great resignation of teachers overall, particularly since COVID, but it's worse when it comes to African-Americans, the African-American teacher shortage. Why is it worse and how bad is the black teacher shortage? Well, it's black teachers and also other teachers of color. So Latinx teachers, indigenous teachers, um, there's, you know, th there's sadly a plethora. Of, of... So teachers of color were lacking from the beginning. The real big resignation, I shouldn't say resignation, would be pushed out was during Brown versus Board of Ed, right? So when that came into play, we had um, white teachers who were then pushed into schools when it was desegregating um, to teach black students, but um, white schools didn't want black teachers. And so they were um, fired. So that's- one, one second, doctor, can we go back? Cause yeah. I don't wanna go, the Brown, the Brown versus Board of Education decision by the US Supreme Court back in the 1950s, significant on many levels, but you're saying that even though it quote, desegregated the schools, it had an adverse impact on black teachers? Completely, completely. It ended up being a huge push out um, that wasn't intent, right? That that wasn't the intention. So if we go back to looking at Brown versus Board of Ed, the intention initially, right, in the whole process was to get better resources for Black segregated schools, right? What it ended up being is this idea of desegregating, and we can even really question or talk about if schools are really even desegregated, right? No, they're de facto, they are in fact de facto segregated. New Jersey, one of the most segregated school systems in the nation, largely because of where people choose to live. Is that accurate? Oh, where where they can that. afford to live. Where you can afford to live. Um, you know, redlining still does happen in certain ways, right? So it does. This is, it's this just is, not official, doctor. It's not official redlining. Go ahead. Not official, but... I guess what we're saying is there's a lot of layers to this onion that we can start to to unpack. Um, but at the end of the day, um, we, we've had since Brown versus Board of Ed, when we're talking about black teachers, but also I'm going to include other teachers of color. There have been limited, um, the, the numbers have been limited. It had stayed that way. So 
around, you know, up until I think 2006, the teachers of color in the U.S. completely was around 12 percent. We're up to 18 percent, which is great, but also there's a bigger divide because starting in 2016 is when the student population is now 50.1 percent students of color, right? So there, so it makes the gap even wider because you have more students of color with that's growing and growing, but still this small right. number of teachers of color. Um, now that what are the reasons for that? There's a number of them. Um, I mean, just to be frank, schools weren't built for students of color. Um, so why would someone want to go teach, right? Uh, but we do have a lot of people who want to teach. There are some, you know, wonderful, awesome, great schools out there. But how to become a teacher also is, there, there's a lot of steps. Teacher education in the nation is the only major you have to test into. <laughs> Say right? again, the only major you have to test into? Test into, right? So depending on your state, but your state, I can say out of the 50 states, it has some type of standardized test that needs to be shown that they're and completed in order to get into the major. Um, it might have different people. It might be an ETS test. It might be a Pearson test. It might be a self-done state but test. But it's a standardized test. Yeah, but it's usually standardized. The with that, doctor, what, I'm sorry for interrupting. What is the problem with that in terms of what the outcome of that process is? But yeah, that's a great question because standardized testing isn't a bad thing. Um, and, you know, I always say <laughs> if someone's going to be a dentist and work on my mouth, I want to know that they know how to do it. Right. Um, but what's happening often. So I'll talk about in the state of New Jersey. So in New Jersey, to, to test in, you have to take what's called Praxis Core. It's reading, writing and math. It looks a lot like the SAT. Um, research has shown over and over. That core does not show or demonstrate if you're going to be a great teacher. A. B, if I want to be a English teacher or social studies teacher, well, why do I need to show math proficiency or vice versa? Right? Right. C. Um, the makers what about of the test, the test. What about racial bias in the exactly. test? Exactly. The makers of the test have even done their own research to show that there's racial bias with it. Right. So so there's a lot of bit, so there's that. And I'm not saying standardized testing is bad. We have in New State of New Jersey, we have Praxis Core, which is now whatever you're you're in the major, um, you're towards the end of your um your undergrad degree, about to get certified, you need to show Praxis Two is like, hey. In your area, so if I want to be earth science teacher, you have to show earth science proficiency. That makes sense. Um, but all the stuff ahead of time ends up being a big barrier, specifically for teachers of color. Can you talk to us about this? With the black teacher shortage being what it is, um, what impact do you believe that has negative impact on students of color? Yeah, so if we're just trying to talk specifically about black uh, black teachers, right? So Black men make up 1% of teachers in the country, which is 1%. So if a black boy doesn't see himself, if a white student doesn't see that black men can do these positions, right? That, that, that says a lot. There's research that came out of, I think it's the University of Southern Florida that talks about if you have one, if, if a black child has a black teacher um, in the early years, so we're talking like kindergarten to fourth grade-ish, um, there's chances of actually dropping out of school lessen by like more than half. They basically, 
Right. And I'm not to say, and, and what's really important here is just to say, just because I'm a black body teaching in front of you, that's going to solve all the problems. It's not like we need. It matters. But it matters. But it matters. But there's also, there's good quality too. Right. And we need really great teachers of color to come into the space. But when we're having things like great resignation, when we're having things like, here's a great example. COVID really showed. Um, Dr. Mawani, I'm so sorry for, for interrupting you there. Um, and we're gonna take a quick break, but this topic is too important for us to try to get in and out of so quickly. Stay right there, we'll continue the conversation. We'll be right back. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Life is full of changes. At Hackensack Meridian Medical Group, we're ready for them. If you have a cold or chronic illness, our five-star doctors can treat any ailment. Whether you're starting recess or retirement, we're prepared with pediatric and adult specialists. And if you just moved here, we are in your neighborhood. You now have access to a health team thousand strong. So no matter what or when, we're ready. Most people don't think about where their water comes from, but we do. Veolia. More than water. Resourcing the world. We continue the conversation with Dr. Lynette Mowinney, who's professor and chair of the Department of Urban Education, Rutgers University, New York. Doctor, uh, last time we were, we were talking about this, you were talking about um, the impact of having a black male teacher on a young African-American man or teenager in terms of their seeing that black teacher the likelihood of staying in school versus dropping out. Pick up that point, please. Yeah. So, um, so, so basically, it matters who's in the classroom and who's teaching. And um, what I was going to say is, during COVID, I think people really understood how teachers matter when people were in their homes, having to pick up some of the slack. Then all of a sudden, everyone loved teachers. Um, and I had a friend say to me just in April, I was back out in Chicago visiting and she said, and she's a music teacher and said, remember when they used to love us? <laughs> <She's> <laughs> back to not liking us anymore, right? Um, but who, who's in the classroom matters. Um, the quality of teacher matters. And it's vital that we need to fill these roles. And so there's this other piece of, it takes a lot to get certified as a teacher. But then also, and this is what our department has done as a collective to challenge the system um, in the state of New Jersey to be up. So we have ESL and bilingual teaching. English ESL, as a second language, bilingual English, education, not the same thing? Not the same thing. Talk not about it, please. Thing. So ESL is I'm a student who I'm trying to understand and grasp the, 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 the language of English and learn that so then I can move on to class. Bilingual is a teacher who can teach in said language their subject area. So usually they need two certifications. So let's say I'm that earth science teacher and I speak Portuguese, right? So that gives me an earth science certificate and bilingual ed cert certificate. So with that, with bilingual ed, you can teach all your subject matters, plus you can teach it in the language of the home spoken language that might be the majority you know, language of your students in a district. Right. So we have a lot of teachers who who might who teach who have the language, but they need this extra credential. 
Um, and it doesn't make sense when we have undergrads who are coming through who had great experiences in ESL, who had great experiences in a bilingual ed classroom, who want to do this, but we're asking them, you got to go to grad school. Why does New Jersey, I'm sorry for interrupting, Professor, why, do, why does New Jersey, you're making it sound as if New Jersey is somehow different from other states. Is that true? New Jersey, New Jersey is not so different from the rest of the country, to be honest. But well, why what do we do that? Where's the logic in that that thinking, that policy? And I love your question. So because of that, I don't have team, any answers. I just I, have questions. I have no answer, but I can tell you at Rutgers Newark, we've changed it. So it's a practice. It's not a policy. And so we've challenged that. So we are the first in the state of New Jersey to now offer ESL or bilingual ed teacher certification at the undergrad level. People don't have to do extra credit. We're leveraging our students' skills and abilities um, in languaging to be able to um, not have to pay all this extra money. It becomes an equity issue. Because we're pushing this, we, we, we now have the program, where, but we're also, there's a collective in New Jersey called NJ Acti. It's all the teacher ed NJ program. What? NJ Acti, N-J-A-C-T-E. Okay. Um, the New Jersey Association for the Council of Teacher Education. Okay. So it's a collective um, of all teacher ed programs all over the state who come together once a month. And so within that, um, we have one of our professors, uh, LaShawn Hannon, who's going to be the incoming president uh, for NJ Acti in two years. She's currently treasurer. We're actively pushing this idea of, okay, look, we showed that we can change practice. We're doing it. Hey, other programs in the state, let's go. Let's go. Let's do that too to make it acceptable. Um, statewide, because unless change this equity issue, it's an easy change. So, urban education. As someone who grew up in Newark, New Jersey, educated as a as a young man, uh, as a boy in Newark, in the public schools of Newark, and then at a certain point, shifting gears because it didn't work for me. My father was a public school teacher. His two sisters, public school teachers. We kind of come from a family of public school teachers. There's a question here. I promise. Um, with urban communities being as uh, complex and challenging as they are, and urban schools being complex and challenging as they are, the need is what it is. But Professor, is the demand, the attractiveness of teaching in an urban school what it could and should be? I would certainly hope so. Um, I mean, th there's also what are the strengths and the beauties and the joys that we have within urban ed too, right? Oftentimes that's that's left out of of what cities have in terms of, you know, diversity and language and culture and what all those students bring to a classroom. Uh, and so what what is great often, especially within urban sectors in New Jersey, is they're well paying spaces um, and there's lots of opportunity for teaching and for growth within teaching in different mm. directions. Right. So uh, right now in Newark to start is a $62,000 salary start. to start. <laughs> there are a lot, you can go down South and most teachers are working 20,000 less than that, right? And might be seasoned. So um, th there, there actually are some really great financial benefits to teaching within urban sectors that um, people don't necessarily always remember. Uh, yeah. but, but it's more than that, right? Most people don't get- a few seconds left. Go ahead. The other reasons why it's attractive. Go ahead, 30 seconds. Other reasons why it's attractive, it gives you opportunity, it gives you flexibility. Urban sectors have a lot of choice in terms of different public schools because there's larger districts. So it also gives you to find your right fit of where you want to teach, what works for you, uh, what works for that school community. Um, 
that that school's located in. Dr. Lynette Mawinney is one of the uh, top experts in this nation when it comes to urban education, and we're honored to have her with us, and she will be back again, I promise, professor and chair of the Department of Urban Education at Rutgers University, New York. Professor, I want to thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. We'll continue the conversation, okay? Sounds great. We'll see you next time. I'm Steve Adubato. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by the New Jersey Economic Development Authority, PSC, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Investors Foundation, PSCNG, Hackensack Meridian Health, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, New Jersey's Clean Energy Program, and by Community Food Bank of New Jersey. Promotional support provided by NorthJersey.com and Local IQ, and by BestOfNJ.com. Life is full of changes. At Hackensack Meridian Medical Group, we're ready for them. If you have a cold or chronic illness, our five-star doctors can treat any ailment. Whether you're starting recess or retirement, we're prepared with pediatric and adult specialists. And if you just moved here, we are in your neighborhood. You now have access to a health team thousand strong. So no matter what or when, we're ready. At the Community Food Bank of New Jersey. We are working. Now more than ever to fill the emptiness caused by hunger. We are the state's largest anti-hunger organization. And together with our 800 plus community partners, we are committed to delivering food, help, and hope to our hundreds and thousands of neighbors in need. Most people don't think about where their water comes from, but we do. Veolia, more than water, resourcing the world.